0: Well, if you would, open up your Bibles. We're in John chapter 10. Sometimes it's good to actually open a Bible up and look at it. I know it's printed in the bulletin, but our our passage actually builds upon what we looked at. Last time we were here, we are in our I Am Statements of Jesus sermon series, John chapter 10. And last time we were together, Jesus proclaimed, I am the door of the sheep. In other words, I'm the sole access point. Uh, into the sheepfold of God. Jesus said, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's where we left off in John chapter 10. Today we continue in verse 11. Here Jesus says he's not just the door of the sheep, he's actually the good shepherd. That's what Jesus says. But as we will see, not everyone wanted to listen to him. May that not be our problem here this morning. May we listen to Jesus' voice. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know His will, if you want to know His way, we must know His word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are so good to keep your words alive here on earth in these beautiful verses that we have just read. Jesus, is, Jesus speaks. To us. May we listen and may we delight in these words and may we turn and, and follow after Him, our good shepherd. Now, what does that look like? We pray you would help us to see in this passage. Amen. Why listen to Him? Amazing words, right? That's what we see in verse 20. Why listen? To him. Here stands before these people the very divine Son of God sent into this world to bless. And they say, Why listen to him? It's a really, really good question, even today, right? Jesus stood before these religious gatekeepers, these leaders. They thought they were the gatekeepers to all that is holy and good from God. And now we see in verse 19 that there was division again amongst the people listening. The crowd is divided. Earlier, if you recall, um, some said that Jesus was a Samaritan and had a demon. Now they say he's just insane and has a demon. Why listen to him? But others were thinking more rationally, right? Jesus cannot be demon-depressed, they say, because he's miraculously healed this blind man who stands before us. They don't fully understand, but they seem to want to listen to learn more, right? May that be our attitude this morning as well. Jesus comes to us on this Lord's Day in October 2019. And his words are just as vital to us today as when he said them back then. He said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is saying to all who will listen to him. He's saying, come to me. Let me be the one who shepherds you. Jesus came to be our good shepherd. Now... As soon as we hear that, some of us will think, I do not need a shepherd. Thank you. I'm going to handle my life all on my own. I don't need any oversight. I'm better off leading my life by myself. Now, those of you here with a spouse, try asking that person if that's accurate about you. Others will say, you know what, I'm actually so messed up. There is no way that Jesus Jesus would ever want to shepherd me. And still others will say this world is so broken that even if Jesus was my shepherd, he still couldn't deliver me beside the still waters that I long for. It's true, isn't it? When it comes to having someone shepherd us, our hardened hearts are full of doubts and denial. But the truth is, listen, we all need shepherding, every last one of us. But the question is, to whom can we trust our souls? And here's what we need to see in this passage this morning. It's the big idea. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, we must entrust our lives to his care. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to divide our time into four sub-points. The first one is this. Because Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for us, we must entrust our lives to him. Do you ever get the feeling like nobody can be trusted? Almost every day we hear someone who failed in a major way, a popular celebrity cook makes a racist remark, or a senator has an extramarital affair, or worse, someone close to us, a, a family member, a teacher, a neighbor, or even a spouse, or, or a priest is found to have lived a, a double life. Our hearts are broken, and we get the sense that no one can be trusted. And in our first point, Jesus wants us to hear something marvelous. He, said, he says, if you will let me shepherd you. I will never abandon you. I will never let you down. But Jesus, how, how can we know you'll never abandon us? Jesus says, because I'm not a hired hand who runs away when the wolves attack. See, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus told that crowd back there what we need to hear today. The good shepherd is not a hired hand. A hired hand is just paid to watch over the sheep on behalf of the owner. He's not invested in them. And because of this, when the hired hand's life is threatened by anything, including a wolf, he runs away and the sheep are attacked and they're scattered. Jesus says in verse 13, he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The hired hand evaluates every action with the question, Is it worth it to me? Is it worth it to me? The flip side is what? Jesus does care for the sheep. How do we know he cares? He says he lays down his life for the sheep. He says this how many times in our text? Five times. Five times. If he said it just once, that would be enough. But he says it five times. Jesus wants you to be clear on this point. Jesus is saying, my devotion to you is of the laying down of life. Variety. Listen, when Jesus says he lays down his life for the sheep, he's telling us that at the very center of his being is a compassionate willingness to do whatever it takes to care for us. Our only requirement is to, to believe him, uh, to listen to him. And it's true, isn't it? There, there's a lot of wolves out there that can scatter us, political wolves. Sexual wolves, career wolves, friendship wolves. Jesus is saying to the divorcee, when no one else cares, I will still care for you. Jesus says to the bankrupt businessman, when your portfolio abandons you, I will give you treasure that cannot be taken away. Jesus says to us all, listen to my voice. Hear me when I say, I will care for you. And listen, let let him come and find you where you are. That's what the good shepherd does. He finds us in our sadness, in our hopelessness, in our despair. He finds us when we are weak and when we have nothing in us. And Jesus says, you don't have to fake it. You don't have to lift yourself up and show you how worthy you are of my care. We do this often as Christians. We want to come across as all put together. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd who cares for my sheep exactly where they are. So, because the good shepherd laid down his life for us, we must entrust our lives to him. That's the first point. Second point is this. Because the good shepherd knows his own We must entrust our lives to him. Is there anybody in this world who knows everything about you? I mean everything about you. Every false statement you've uttered, every half-truth, every lustful look or thought, every internal rolling of the eyes at someone you're jealous of, every belittling comparison meant to make yourself feel superior, Chances are, if someone were to walk up to you and ask you to tell them their deepest, darkest secret, you will do what? Well, you tell them some lesser one or make something up, right? Well, I I mean, I once parked in a handicapped spot on a handicapped person. but That comes from Fletch, by the way, if you know movies. Anyway. We don't want people to really know us, do we? If they did, then likely they would run. And guess what? We don't even know ourselves. We like to think we do, but we don't. We're blind to our own many faults. It's this reason why, after doing something regrettable, we say things like, I do not know where that came from. We need to be shepherded, don't we? Now let this sink in. In verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Listen, I know my own. Remarkable. Here's the fact we need to ponder. Jesus knows you, every bit of you, even the things you don't know about yourself, even the regrettable failures you will commit tomorrow or the next day, or maybe if you're really good, next week. How is it that Jesus knows everything about you, every thought, every deed, every dream? Because he's divine. Jesus is God in the flesh. And because of this, he knows the thoughts of all the people in the world. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus, what? He knew her whole life story without her having to say a word to him. And you remember how she ran back into the town? Remember what she said? She said to the townspeople, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, the fact that Jesus knows you, every bit about you down to the core is both terrifying and terrific. Terrifying, and that tries you like to hide in your silence and solitude. Jesus does know everything. You cannot hide from God. You can hide things from bosses and boyfriends. But nothing escapes the purview of the Almighty. Nothing. And so it can be terrifying. But it can also be terrific. How so? Because for once in your life, there can be somebody who knows you, like really knows you, down to the core, the the good and the bad, the miserable, and still love you. Walk with me for a moment. Ponder this truth. If Jesus did not know every bad detail about you, the bad things in your life, if he was aware was unaware of something, some sin or failure on your part, then you could not be certain that he would always love you and shepherd you. If some moral failure on your part were hidden from Jesus' sight, then you could and should be concerned that if he found out, he would just walk away. Like the wife who's hiding bad things from her husband, she will not tell him for fear that he would leave her. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, sent a telegram to the 12 most respectable people in London as a joke one night. The telegram simply read, Flee! All is revealed! (laughs) Within 24 hours, six of them had left the country. (laughs) Jesus knows you. Every false humility, every vain thought, every lazy avoidance of doing God's will, every temptation eagerly pursued, every opportunity to forgive yet unfulfilled. Everything. Not just before you came to faith in him. Even now, he knows everything. Jesus knows it all about you and about you and you and you and me. He knows it all. There's nothing hidden. And he loves us still. How is that possible? It's because his shepherding is of the laying down of life variety. Jesus substituted his life for yours on the cross. All the bad that you've ever done and will ever do. He has atoned for it. He laid down his life so that He could care for you as the good shepherd. Do you understand that? I like how the 19th century British theologian and scholar, it's on the front of your bulletin, um, Brooke Foss Westcott put it in one of his lectures. Here's what he said. But it is nothing in his flock. But... But as it is, nothing in his flock is hidden from him. Their weaknesses, their failures, their temptations, their sins, the good which they have neglected when it was within reach, the evil which they have pursued when it lay afar, all is open before his eyes. He knows them, and he loves them still. It's a Terrific thought to ponder. Jesus knows every last detail about every one of the sheep in his flock and he loves them still. Isn't that marvelous? So we've seen that because Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for us and because he knows us, we must entrust our lives to him. Now for our third point, because the good shepherd places us in his blessed community, we must entrust our lives to him. Jesus speaks of this community in verse 16. He says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. He says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This fold, that phrasing refers to Judaism. Jesus is saying, I didn't just come come for the Jewish nation. My father has a plan from all eternity that people from every tribe and tongue on this whole entire earth, that they will belong to my flock. The Old Testament, we see the story of God choosing Abraham and building him up into a mighty nation. Why? From whom that nation, the Messiah, would come and all the earth would be blessed through him. In the book of Isaiah, God says to the Messiah, here's what he says, it's in Isaiah 49. He says, It is too light a thing that you should raise up the tribes of Jacob. In other words, it's just them isn't enough. He says, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is the heart of God. His heart is a heart that says, I want all the world to experience my, my shepherding care. And here in John 10, Jesus is saying, I am that very mission of God to raise up this united community of blessing from every race and every culture all over the world. Christians in America, we're 2,000 years into this. We're, we're part of the people reached by this beautiful plan of God. and that's spectacular? Jesus' words are coming true. Jesus says in verse 16, I have other sheep. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. It's marvelous. The advancement of the gospel in the world today is nothing less than Jesus himself drawing more and more diverse people to be part of this one flock where they'll have one shepherd. Jesus also said, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Let me ask you how, do you, how do you know if you belong to the good shepherd's flock? Is it by church attendance? Is it because one day years ago you, you led a Bible study? Is it because a while back you made a profession of faith, perhaps at some youth event or some church revival? How do you know you belong to Jesus' flock? Jesus says his sheep, what? Listen to his voice. Don't get me wrong. We're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. But faith without following is a fake faith. There's a component. If you really have heard the shepherd's voice, we will delight in it and follow after him. Genuine Christians are sheep that love the good shepherd. They delight in the fact that the good shepherd laid down his life for them. They know that Life is futile apart from having God himself shepherd us. And they know that the good shepherd continues to speak to us through scripture, through answered prayer, and yes, even through fellow Christians that we share life with. Not that we always obey the voice of Christ, right? Not that we don't at times find ourselves straying away. But the overall desire of a genuine Christian is to listen and obey. And then when we fall fall short, confess and receive his mercy afresh. So it's good for each of us to ask, do I really listen to Jesus' voice? Have I really entrusted my life to the good shepherd or am I faking it? Also, Jesus' words have implications for our evangelism, do they not? <clears throat> he says, I have other sheep. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. As you follow after Christ, you will find, what? That he leads you to sheep. Other sheep that are not yet of his fold, so that you may bring them in. The point is, Grace Church, as we, Jesus' flock, follow our good shepherd, he will lead us to people who will hear his voice and will follow him. This takes a lot of pressure off of us, doesn't it? Right now, listen, right now there are people within your sphere of relationships, at school, uh, at home, in your neighborhood, who are part of Jesus' flock. They just don't know it yet. And all that we have to do is lovingly point them to Christ. Be like that that Samaritan woman who ran back to her town, the very people who despised her, and said, "Come and meet the man who knows everything about me and has been gracious and kind. Could he be the Christ?" That's that's it's really a simple thing. And what we find is when we do that, Jesus is the one who speaks to them, and they will listen. And follow after him. If they are his sheep, they cannot not listen. So, Grace Church, may we be like our good shepherd and have hearts for gathering in lost sheep. Jesus also says, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. In the Old Testament, the flock was what? The nation of Israel. And this nation was supposed to welcome outsiders in. As people traveled in and through the nation of Israel, if you see where it is on a map, it's there for a reason. It's in this, this small little nation in this backwater area. So that's where all the, all the trade went through. Uh, that's where all the wars ended up going through. And so God's plan for his people was the nation, as people traveled in and through uh, Israel, that, that they would interact with his people. And they would go, wow, there's something amazing about these people. They don't cheat they're kind, they're hospitable. Well, who's your God? Tell us about him. And that was, that was his plan for in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament era, the flock is no longer a nation. It's what? What is it that Jesus calls the flock? The church. Jesus told Peter on this rock, that's your faith in me, I will build my. Church. I know we, you know, church kind of gets a bad name these days, but the church is a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, the English word, it it comes from the Greek, ekklesia. It's a compound word, ek, meaning out or from. And klesia comes from the verb kaleo, which means to call. That word means called out ones. That's who we are. Isn't that beautiful? The shepherd calls out. We hear his voice and we come. That's what the church is. If you got a bad view of the church, just put that on a shelf and just think about the actual word called out once. That's who we are. Very simple. We're called out once, called out by the good shepherd. The church, with all her blemishes, and faults, and certainly things we need to repent of. The church is the called-out flock which the good shepherd cares for. He cares for his sheep. The sad thing is, many Christians in America seem to think it's okay to have the shepherd but not be in the flock. Listen. To be a Christian who's not involved in the body life of a local church is to be living in disobedience to the voice of the Good Shepherd. When I say involved in the body life of a local church, I don't mean attending worship service a couple of times a month. I mean what Jesus means, getting in close with other sheep in the flock, sharing in community. And yes getting kicked at times by other sheep, bitten by other sheep at times. But this is what you belong to. And Jesus calls us into his flock because ultimately, blessing from God is found nowhere else. Now, if you're still not so sure that Jesus' desire for you is to be an active member of his flock, then consider what Jesus said about sheep that were outside of the flock. Luke 15, 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the other ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? What is it that Jesus calls the sheep outside of the flock? Lost. Jesus says the logical thing for any shepherd to do when that one sheep is lost and away from the flock, is to go and to bring it back. If you're here today or listening online, supposedly people do, and you think you're a mature follower of Christ, and yet you're not actively involved in the body life of his flock, the local church, then by Jesus' definition, you're really a lost sheep that has wandered away. And he wants you back in. You need to hear Jesus' voice. Because Jesus, the Good Shepherd, laid down his life for us, because he knows us, because he desires to place us in his blessed community, we must entrust our lives to him. Lastly, because the good shepherd has authority, this is the good one. Because the good shepherd has authority over all that threatens us, we must entrust our lives to him. The big idea is this Jesus is in full command of all that is evil. We see this in verse 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, it wasn't an accident that Jesus went to the cross, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from the Father, it is, this, this authority my Father in Heaven gave me. Let me ask you, what is the worst evil ever perpetrated? Could it be the Khmer Rouge killing fields in Cambodia? Could it be the tens of millions of citizens that were killed under Stalin or Mao or the brutalities of Nazi Germany? Not to diminish any of those horrors committed by mankind over the centuries, but the worst of all evils ever perpetrated was the murder of the Son of God. The Roman ruler Pontius Pilate found no guilt in him, but all the religious leaders and then everyone in the crowd agreed to set Barabbas free and crucify Jesus instead. And here's how Peter describes it in the book of Acts. He says, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Listen, and you killed The author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. That's the worst evil ever in in humanity, murdering the holy and righteous one. The author of life himself. John begins his gospel by saying what? In the beginning it was the word and all things were made through him. And this word is who? Christ who came into the world and dwelt with us. The author of life himself has been killed. Now, consider what Jesus is saying in our passage. One, he's saying, I willingly went into that. That was me who went to allow that to happen to myself. But he's also saying that none of us here, none of us can generate an evil that God cannot control. There's no evil on earth that God himself cannot control. Here, Jesus is claiming for himself complete authority, control over the greatest evil of all, his death, as well as his resurrection over that. As we read, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I let you do this evil to me. I have the authority. I have control over it. Just, just watch me. I'll raise myself up again. And so, the point that Jesus wants us to see here is that since he has control over that worst of all evil, you and I can entrust him with every evil of our lives that we encounter. You know, people in this world, that includes us, we have to brace ourselves every day against the who knows what evil that lies around the next corner. But Jesus was never surprised. He was always in control over all evil. Jesus held his own life in his hands. And he was powerfully delivered from the grave. He's now raised in glory. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And listen, he now holds you in his hands. And he will never let you go. How do we know that? Well, If your Bibles are open, just a few verses down from ours, in verses 27 and 28, we hear these comforting words. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and what? And they will never perish, and what? And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus, the good shepherd, has absolute control over all evil. And he says, guess what? You will not banish from my care and protection. That's not to say that we won't have hardships, that there won't be things in our life where evil comes and affects us. But in the big picture of it all, our Lord is carrying us in his hands. And one day he will deliver us out of this. Jesus is saying that if he's your good shepherd, then no matter how brutal this world is against you, no one will snatch you out of his hands. Jesus is holding on to you. How do you know he's holding on to you? Well, that's what good shepherds do. They hold on to every sheep. They don't let one go. So don't worry about how well you're holding on to Christ. He is holding on to you. Don't worry about what all evils of this world what they can do to you. What's hiding around the next corner. Don't even worry about even the horrible things like cancer and car accidents. Why? Because Jesus has you in his hands. He's in control of all evil. And someday soon, we will see the evil, all the evil, that this broken world has ever encountered. And we're going to see it rolled up like a rug. And the good shepherd's going to chuck it into the fire. And it will be forever away from the presence of his people. And then the good shepherd will come down to a renewed earth and dwell with his people. And there will be one flock. There will be one shepherd. And oh, the joy. Oh, the splendor. Oh, the rejoicing. We've seen that because Jesus laid down his life for us, because he knows his own, because he places us in his blessed community, and because he has authority, control over all that threatens us, we must entrust our lives to him. I hope we all agree that because Jesus is the good shepherd, we we must entrust our lives to his care. Do you hear the voice of the good shepherd calling you today? Maybe you're uncertain. Maybe you're like those crowds. The crowds were divided, weren't they? You know, it's true. Jesus remains divisive even to this day. Jesus has been and always will be, listen, always will be controversial. And so as Ray Ortland writes, he says, if you wait until the controversy blows over, you will never make up your mind. You need to decide now which side you're going to be on. I think some of us here today are ready to change sides or at least to, to commit to the side that we're settled on, that he is the good shepherd. Some of us are ready to cross the line from this guardedness and resistance to Jesus to openness and trust in him. And you know, if that's you, you know the reason why you're ready? Because he's the good shepherd who goes after sheep to bring them in. He speaks so they hear his voice and they listen and they come. May all of us here, whether we're unbelievers or believers alike, hear the voice of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, and entrust our lives to his powerful yet tender care. Oh, to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, to be brought into his fold, where there is an abundance of mercy and grace and eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you are not like us. You are merciful and gracious and kind to the worst of all people. Entrance into heaven isn't by how we pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off and make ourselves look good. Entrance into the sheepfold is by grace and mercy. It always has been and always will be. We stand in your grace and we're thankful for that. Jesus, be our good shepherd now and always and lead us beside still waters and green pastures, we pray. Amen.